We, every year we do a book study, and this year we have chosen the Gospel of Matthew, and our theme is focused on discipleship. So we have kind of, we're coming to the end of the year, and we are also coming to the end of our Matthew series. Um, where we are this weekend is kind of like the um, it's kind of like the penultimate before the climax, right? It's be right before where Jesus gets betrayed, he gets arrested, and then he gets crucified, and he comes back from the dead. So in Matthew 24 and 25, we're at 25 today, uh, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about the end days, the last you know, the last days, the end times. And he tells his disciples or his followers to, that he is coming back, that he's going to die and, ride, and you know, be raised again, and that he's going away, but eventually he's going to come back. So that's one of the core beliefs of the Christian faith, that Jesus is going to return one day. And I believe in Jesus, and I, you know, I've been impacted, personally saved by the gospel, and one of the messages of the gospel is that Jesus is a savior. You know, he, you know, he's full of grace, he's full of mercy, doesn't matter what we have been through, doesn't matter what we have gone through, doesn't matter what we are going through, God's hand is not too short to save us. God can rescue us, God can deliver us, God can do all things, God can turn any situation around. So if you are not a Christian, or if you have not fully given your life to Jesus, can I encourage you, give your life to Him because He can turn things around. Or maybe you have once given your life to Him, but now you walked away. Can I say that there is still um, opportunity to come back to Jesus? Make sure you make Jesus the first thing or in fact, the only thing in your life. But the other thing that we must realize as Christians is that Jesus is not just Savior, He is also Lord. He saved us so that, not, you know, grace is not the license to do what we want. It's the empowerment to live a life that He wants. So in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus spends a lot of time talking about what you ought to do, what, what has to happen. In Matthew 24, you know, Jesus talks about how you know, the end will come like a thief. You know, it will come and we, we won't even know it. Right? One person will be out in the field and then he'll be taken. You will hear rumors of wars and you will hear nations going against nations, all these different things. But in the midst of all that, you know, Jesus tells us this, that we must be ready. We must be prepared and we must make full use while we still have the opportunity to do so. You know, the thing about um, end times is that a lot of people, uh, some people, not a lot, rather, some people, they like to get into um, arguments or debates about, oh, you know, when is Jesus coming? You know, what should we look out for and all that. Now, I personally, you know, I, I, I study theology, so I, I'm aware of the pre-meal view, the post-meal view, the A-meal view, all these views and all that. But I'm of the belief that while Jesus, the only thing we ought to know, the only thing that, must, that we should remember is that Jesus is definitely coming back one day. Whether he, when he comes, we don't know because it's like a thief. You know, if a thief came to steal things from your house, he ain't going to call you and go, uh, hello, allow. Uh, next Tuesday, I come to your house at uh, 4 a.m. and I'm going to break in and take your things. Don't, 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 uh, you know, don't wake up, uh, don't on your alarm, uh, right? 
The thief is not going to do that. He's going to come when you least expect it, and he's going to arrive when you, uh, you know, when, when, even when you have your guard down, right? You, you, we can't. So the important thing about knowing when Jesus is coming back is just this. He's coming back, but also because he's coming back, we have to think about how we live our lives now. We have to think about what we're going to make full use of the time now because two things will happen. Either we will pass on before he comes back or he will come back while we are still alive. But either way, the Bible says that we will have to give an account. We will have to give an account. We will have to face God and we will have to show him or tell him what we have done with our lives. So Matthew 25 is a very, very massive chunk of scripture. Um, pastor Chu, he, he, you know, he, 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 because he's a senior pastor and he's you know, a hero of theology and preaching, so he took on all, you know, the whole of Matthew 25. Right? His three points were the reserves because he talked about the parable of the virgins, and then he, his second point was rewards because he talked about the parable of the talents, which is what we talk about this morning, and he talked about the rejects because he, uh, that's the section where Matthew 25 talks about the sheep and the goats. What Whatever you do unto the least of men, you do unto the Lord. But I'm not a hero in uh, preaching or theology, so I'm going to focus a little bit on the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. And it goes into uh, whatever, whatever I've just said before. It's an introduction. So Matthew 25, um, incidentally, the title of my message is Use It or Lose It. Turn to someone next to you and say, Use It or Lose It. Use it or lose it. And I'll explain to you what I mean by this title. Now, we're going to go to our Bibles, Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. It is going to be on the screen, but if you have it in your Bibles, I want to encourage you to read along with me. It says this, Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He, together, he called together, sorry, his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities he then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. Then the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me the five bags of silver to invest. I have now earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Verse 22. The servant who received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. 
But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I would have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. May God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. Now, I've only got three points for you this morning from this Scripture. But before I get into my points, I want to just pick up the concept of what a talent is. Now, if you're reading, if you read your Bible, some versions or translations of your Bible would have said that it, uh, you know, we've translated it as a talent. Or they call this parable the parable of the talents. Some Bibles call it, or some versions, sorry, call it the parable of the three servants. In this version, it says bags of gold or bags of silver, right? But in, I want to talk about what this bags of silver or this word talent represents. You see, back in those days, talent is not our gifts and abilities as we would think now, like in the English word. Talent actually was a measurement, weight, but talent also represented a sum of money. In fact, talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii. Now, how much is that? Back then, a day's wage would be about one denarius. So one talent is equivalent to 20 years' worth of wage, 20 years' worth of salary. So can you imagine the, pers- the, the person who got the five talents, he got 100,000 worth of um, 100 years, sorry, worth of wage. Now imagine this, you, whatever you're earning now, this, whatever you're earning now this year, your annual salary, you times that by 100 and you get that, you get to uh, manage that. That's a whole lot of money. The, the master entrusted his servants with what he had and he went away. So that's symbolic already. Jesus is going to go away. He came back from the dead. He's going to go away but eventually, one day, he will come back. But while he's gone, he entrusts all of us with different things. So this is where I want us to catch. The word talent or bags of silver or bags of gold actually represents all that we have. Because it's not just a measurement of money, it's also a measurement of weight. Everything that we have, everything that we are is of God. Whatever that you have right now, whoever that you are right now, your gifts, your abilities, your uniqueness, it is all because of God. Scripture puts it this way, Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to Him. James 1.17, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Romans 11 verse 29, for God's gifts and His call can never be withdrawn. Some versions say God's gift is irrevocable and some versions say for God's gifts are without repentance, meaning whatever God has given, it is now ours. 
And it's interesting to note that, you know, gifts is not just, um, or blessings or favour, it's not just limited to Christians alone. Do you, you know what I mean? Because if you look in the world, there are many non-Christians who are also blessed, who also have many gifts, who also have many talents. The question is, is what are they using those gifts and those talents for? You know, um, I told this story a few times, but many years ago, um, I was watching a, live, a concert online, right? Uh, I have this thing where I like watching um, live concerts, right? Uh, so live recordings and all that on YouTube. I don't like going to live concerts because they're very crowded, so I just sit at home in my comfort and watch it on YouTube, right? So I was watching this, con- this Lady Gaga concert. Any of you know Lady Gaga? She's not really relevant anymore, but okay, Lady Gaga, right? Um, so I, was, I bring up Lady Gaga because I was watching her concert and, you know, she was just doing her thing, singing and all that. And there was one song where she got on the piano, so the music had all died down. She got on the piano and she was singing a piece. And as she was doing that, the camera panned to the audience. And what the audience were doing, they had their hands lifted up and eyes closed and they were swinging and swaying their bodies. And when I looked at that, you know what I realized was happening? Worship. What was happening there was worship. But the question is, is what are they worshiping onto? So my point is this, you know, music, you know, we have music in the church, but God is the, God is the creator of all things, so He created music, right? But why is the world better at doing things than the church when the church should be the ones reflecting the glory of God? So that's just what I'm thinking, right? And if you look at different people, Kanye West, right? I mean, you know Kanye West, yeah? So Kanye West now, you know, uh, people are skeptical and all that. But it's one thing sure about him is he, he and in fact, he says, it, um, he says it unabashedly that now I am serving God. In fact, I saw this um, uh, interview, uh, or the, uh, he, he went to this large mega church. Um, I, I, won't know, I won't tell you what, I won't say what church that is, but if you uh, go and Google it, you will know. He went to this large mega church and, you know, his Sunday service choir was there. He was performing and then they got him to come out and speak. And when he was speaking, he talked about sin, he talked about repentance and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this is Kanye West. If any of you know who Kanye West was, right, this is Kanye West. I'm like, he has used the word repent more times than a pastor has ever used in his church. And like, man, like, right, so this is not a, a criticism, it's a fact. This is what, what he did. So my point is this, all of us have gifts, have influence, have opportunities. What are we using it for and who are we glorifying it with? So my three points this morning is this. First point, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Three points from Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. God is sovereign. Where do I pick this out from? I look at verse 15. Because verse 15, it says that the master went away and he gave, according to each servant's ability, different gifts. So here's the thing. God decides who gets what. Um, when I was younger, I, was, I used to be a little bit upset because I really wanted to be a rock star. 
I really wanted to sing, you know, I wanted to be in a band and all that kind of stuff. I really wanted that, you know. So, uh, so, uh, so I, I had all these, like, uh, you know, all, all these bands that I used to like. Um, and I would go like, man, I wish I could be a front man of a band. But the reality was, I could, I, I'm not a good singer. Right? I could never really sing that well. And a lot of times, that's what we also feel. Like, we wish that we have more gifts or that we have more talents or that we have more resources compared to everybody else. Or we may even become bitter. We can go, how come those people there are blessed and I'm not blessed? How come this person gets five talents and I only have two? Or how come, you know, that person gets three? Or why, the, why is that person more anointed? Why is that person's family doing better? Blah, blah, blah. Why does that person have more children? Why does that person have more money? Or all, all that kind of stuff. We can get into this comparison mode and start to question why we have what we have and they start to focus on what everybody else has. But if I look at the story, um, the one, the, you know, the servant who had one talent already had a lot because remember what I said, one talent was equivalent to 6,000 denarii and one denarius is one day's worth of wage. So one talent, 20 years worth of salary. Now, that's not Little. But of course, if you want to compare it to the person with two talents or five, it doesn't look like a whole lot. But here's the thing. If we always look at what we don't have or what other people have, we will lose sight and forget of what God has blessed us with. The reality is, if we take time to be thankful. You know, gratitude and thankfulness is a big part of the Christian life, right? The Bible says, in all things, give thanks, right? Giving thanks and being grateful, an attitude of gratitude is a big part of Christian life of spirituality. And here's the thing, right? The Bible puts it very simply this way, Psalm 105 verse 3. Our God is in the heavens and He does as He wishes, that's that. In simple words, God is God, we are not. We could get angry and upset about our circumstance, about what we have and all these kind of things, but at the end of the day, God is God. He does what He wants. If He chooses to bless that person, it's not up to us. If He chooses to bless somebody else, anoint somebody else, it's not up to us. Even pastors are not free from this game. Right? If I were to be, if I were to speak real honest this morning, sometimes pastors can also get into the mood. How come that person's church is bigger? Or how come that person's ministry is thriving? Or why, you know, so at the end of the day, it all affects everyone, whether you're a pastor or not. This whole attitude or this whole concept of wanting to compete and compare. I want to say it this morning that life is not a competition. It's not a comparison. It is about running your own race, staying in your own lane. Because if you don't run your own race and if you don't stay in your own lane, you can lose focus. You can get caught up. In fact, um, you know, I, when I, I just came back from, um, from, from a, a retreat in Kampa and uh, occasionally I will go out station on the highway, drive on the highways. Or that. Many, how many of you travel pretty much on the highways uh, a lot? Any of you? You drive on the highway quite frequently and all that. You, do you know on the road, okay, most of us drive, right? Do you know on the road, there are, this, there are just some drivers who 
they think they are like in like some Formula One race. Could be some of you here, <laughs> right? You know, it's like, you know, they were like, they were like, you know, swerve right, left, right, left, right. They'll go and all the kind of stuff. They'll go really, really fast. Or if you're on the highway, they'll come like so from really, really far and they're like flashing their lights. They're, you know, awning their hazard lights. If they have missiles, they'll probably fire it at you, you know. They, they kind of think they're just like, whoa, you know, they chong and all that. And then you kind of go, okay, I have to, I have to give way and all, and all that. But after a while, right, you reach a traffic light, you reach a traffic jam, you see the guy right in front of you. Or you see the guy right next to you. The best is at the traffic lights, right? They want to walk, you know, you want to swing, swerve here and there. And then at the next light, they're next to me. And I go, do you feel clever or not, brother? <laughs> you want a medal or not? Wow, you got to the light five seconds faster than me. Well done, I clap for you, right? Do you know that's a lot like life? A lot of times, we want to rush, we want to race, we want to get there quick. But at the end of the day, eventually, all of us have to slow down. All of us will hit a roadblock, traffic jam, a traffic light, and we have to slow down. I don't know about you, but when I am driving in the car and I see people like this, um, on the highway especially, when, when I see them coming from a long way, the, t- the temptation is now to also drive faster and you know, go like, no, I can overtake you. You know, your, you know, your car's smaller than mine. <laughs> I'll show you, right? It's like, but at the end of the day, all of us, will be forced to slow down. Those, those of you who live life long enough know what I'm talking about. Some of us, we get a family, we have to slow down. Some of us, we get a hitch in our business, we have to slow down. Some of us, we have an issue in our health, we have to slow down. So the point is this, let's not be worried about who wants to go fast or who's going faster and all that. Let's go at our own pace. Let's run our race. Let's look at what God has entrusted us with and be content with that and grow in that and to be faithful in that. Many times we get this, we get this temptation to want to compare. But you know comparison never glorifies God. Comparison does this. Comparison either makes us prideful or pitiful. Prideful or pitiful. None of which glorifies God. We either puff ourselves up or we tear ourselves down. So rather than be concerned about who has more or who's doing what, let's be focused on what we have. Everybody is gifted. Whether you have one bag or two bags or five bags, everybody at least has a bag, has a talent. Let's make use of that. The second point is this, God's sovereign, that's my first point, God's sovereignty. The second point is our stewardship. Our stewardship. Because here the scripture is clear that the money did not belong to the servants. It belonged to the master. He entrusted it to his servants and he came back one day to get them to give an account. So in the same vein, whatever that we have does not belong to us. It may have our name on the deed or the title at the moment. On the birth certificate of our children, we may be listed as the parents, but reality is everything that we have now does not belong to us strictly, but it's simply a trust, an assignment, 
and a task from God. Stewardship is simply this. What stewardship means is to be given a trust, how we manage it. In fact, Genesis 1.28, right? It says that God made man in His image. And the first commandment He gave to mankind was to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. Subdue the earth meaning have dominion over it. And what he meant by that is now I'm giving you the earth to be a steward of it, to take care of this planet, to take care of your very lives. If I want to make it even simpler, everything that we have does not belong to us. Every single thing, whatever it is, whatever you're wearing right now, whatever that you have, your businesses, your ministry, your family, your influence, everything that you have belongs to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 says this, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. It is required of stewards that they be found faithful. The Christian life is neither ideal nor idle, right? It's not meant to be ideal because we do get into trouble. We do go through different trials, but it's also not meant to be idle. We are not meant to just receive the good news and then just sit on it. I, 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 that's why I've been challenging the next generation a lot on. I tell them this, that if really, if the Christian life is all about just getting to heaven, then in all honesty, it will make things a lot less complex if we just died at the altar. You know what I mean? It's like whoever wants to receive Jesus here for the first time, please come forward, okay, then say a prayer, then you just get, you just get struck by lightning and you die there. And then you go straight to heaven. Don't you think that will be, that will be so much easier, right? That will be so much better. But the reality is when we become a Christian, we are still on earth. So what do we do while we are here and waiting for us to meet the Lord, whether we meet Him first or He comes again. My friends, while we are waiting, we have to be working. While we are waiting, we have to be working. Get this, right? What you have is God's gift to you. But what you do with it is your gift back onto God. Whatever that you have, are you using it for His glory? Whatever influence that you have, whatever um, time that you have, whatever energy, whatever gifts that you have, are you using it for the glory of God? Would you dedicate all that you are, all that you have and all that you do for His glory and not just do it for your own sake or for yourself? So, you know, when we do that, God will grow us. And, you know, in, in this, and the thing about getting extra and all that, because the story talks about how um, when the man actually, you know, got two talents, you know, and he grew it to two more, and God gave him more, God said, okay, well done, I'm going to trust you with more things. It's not just an end time thing, it's a current time thing. And, what, and I've seen that because, let me tell you, in reality, I never considered myself a gifted person. In fact, I don't even consider myself a very gifted person right now. 
um, you know, I just know that, okay, I have this set of abilities that I've gotten along the way, and I, whatever I can, I use it for God. I do it for God. You know, I, I was the kind of guy growing up, um, in church, right, there are always those, like, uh, superstars, one, you know what I mean, right? Like, those people who can do everything, one, they're good in music, lah, good in singing, lah, good in leadership, lah, and all that kind of stuff, right? I was never one of those people. Um, you know, I was the guy that failed worship auditions, like, many, many times, right? Uh, like, I, I, like, I didn't really, I, I was the guy, I was the guy that nobody, nobody, nobody even wanted to be a core in cell. Really, I was like growing up, you know, I was the kind of guy. And I didn't consider myself to have many gifts. In fact, in school, I struggled. You know, I, I wasn't a very academic person. You know, I wasn't particularly good at sports or anything like that. So, I, I really, growing up, I, I struggled with to say, okay, you know, who, who am I? Like, uh, what, 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 what am I meant for? I don't even know what I'm good at. And when I got saved and I got... When I started serving God, I had a call from God. God told me that I'm going to call you, I'm going to do, you know, things through your life. And I imagined in my mind, okay, I'll, I'll be preaching, I'll be all that. But the reality is I never preached a message when I got called from God. I never, in fact, I never preached a, a single sermon until the point I came back to Malaysia after I was done with Bible school. All the time, what I did was with whatever little that I could contribute, I contributed. If people wanted me to serve in this area, I would serve. So I was everything. I was an usher. I was a security person. I was in F&B. I was, you know, in hospitality. You know, I was in um, follow-up. I was, I was doing all these different things. But with whatever little I had, I say, God, if you can use this small bit, I give to you. God, if you can use this little thing, I give to you. Because God, by nature, is a multiplier. Whatever that you give to Him, God multiplies. Just like the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. What happened? They only had two loaves of bread and five fishes. But they, yet, they, met to, they, they managed to feed a whole crowd. But what happened was this. The little boy had to pass the items along. In their hands is where it multiplied. Here's the thing. Whatever that you have, it is in your hands, and when it's put to use, God will multiply it. Don't sit on your gift. Don't sit on whatever you have. And if you feel like, I'm not gifted, uh, there's no such thing. And all of us can do something, no matter how small it is for God. Even if it's just walking into our workplace and saying, you know what? I'm going to be the best worker there is to the best of my ability because I want people to see that Christians are good examples and they are good workers. And it's even, you know, walking into our schools where you, go, you may not be academic, but you may now say, you know what, I want to go around and to be known as someone who is loving and kind in my school because I want people to see that Christians are good news. If we are called to bring the good news, we ought to be good news wherever we go. And if you are at home, you know, taking care of your children, praise God for you. Thank God for you. Those are your little gifts. How will you raise them before they go out to school, before they go out into the world to now start having influence? If you are a business person, 
Well, how will you use your contacts? How will you use your resources to influence people for the kingdom of God? That's why I thank God next year, you know, we are becoming very intentional. We have a workplace ministry, a church plant, even in, um, in KL, right? That is going to be a workplace hub because we see that the gospel is not meant to be kept here in these four walls. The gospel is powerful. Oh, we are all entrusted with the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. It is not just the pastor who should go and evangelize or the evangelist who should go and evangelize. No, all of us are entrusted with the good news, the gospel. What are we going to do with it? So if I were to ask you to just reflect, to think about it this morning, I'm going to ask you this question. Are you glorifying God with all of these things? Your time? Because time, right, we, we like to, a lot of us, including myself, like to waste time. We do all kinds of useless things with our time. But how are we using our time? Our money. How are we managing, stewarding our money, our possessions, our body for that matter, and our relationships? All of us have something to contribute to the kingdom of God. While you still have breath in your body and strength in your bones, serve the Lord. Amen? While you still have you know, a word, while you can still utter a word, while you can still make a smile, while you can still shake a hand, serve the Lord. While you still have ability to make even a single ringgit, use it for the glory of God. While you have the opportunity to meet people, use those times to glorify God. That's one of the things that, you know, that really, really gets me and I try to be so careful, right? The whole thing about being, church, being in church, you're being one way, but then when you go outside, you are a different way altogether. That's what Jesus talks about, the sheep and goats, right? There's no point where you come to church and you look so nice and, you know, you're friendly and all that kind of stuff, but then when you go to your work, you are a nasty person. Or, you know, or when you're ordering food and all that kind of stuff, you are like, you know, you're rude to the waiter and all that. No, all of us belongs to Lord, to the Lord. Or every single part of us, will we use it for the glory of God. Scripture says this, 1 Peter 4 verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Colossians 3.23 to verse 24 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and the master you are serving is Christ. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that Christians should be the best workers, best students, best everything all around. They should be. Even when your boss is a jerk. Because here the scripture says you are not serving men, you are serving God. When you leave this place, you are an ambassador for Christ. You represent Jesus. You know, you represent the church. You represent the Christian faith. So can you imagine if you went to work 
and you had a sloppy attitude, and you, you know, you, you, had, you were you're a lazy person, what kind of image are we portraying for our king? And let me go one step further. It's normal. It's normal when we have a bad boss, we don't agree with the company direction, we don't agree with our leaders, blah, 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 blah. It's normal to give attitude, to show that, you know, our displeasure and all that. But my friends, we are not called to be normal. We are not called to be ordinary. We are called to be extraordinary for Jesus. That's who we are called for. We are called to go into the place and to leave it better for God. That's what we are called to do. You don't need to explicitly preach Jesus or to shove the gospel down people's throats. But man, can you imagine if we use whatever we had to glorify God, to just have such you know, a, a desire and intentionality to glorify Him, how much differently things would be in the world. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Nothing you ever do for the Lord is in vain. Nothing that you ever do for the Lord will count or amount to nothing. I recognize that, that it takes a lot of intentionality, a lot of intensity to always want to do the right thing. But that's why we're not told to rely on our own strength, but to rely on Him. And that's why when the Bible says work enthusiastically, you know, passion is this. Passion is revelation. Passion is revelation. The reason why I am passionate about the Word of God, the reason why I'm passionate about the church is because I have a revelation of Him. The reason why I'm passionate about worship and when I come into this atmosphere, I don't wait for the worship leader to, you know, sing my favorite song or to work me up, you know, or hype me up because I have a revelation that God is worthy of all my worship. God is better beyond what I feel. So when I see a situation, when I have a bad boss, I will see that, you know what, Revelation tells me that I am not working for Him, I am working for God, so all the more would I shine for His glory. And you know, Revelation would also see this, that whatever that I am doing for God, I'm in charge of the sowing, God's in charge of the growing. I just do what I know what to do. I will trust the Lord. Galatians 6, 9 says this, My dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good, for in due time, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest. Don't get tired of doing the right thing in your family, to your children, to your spouses, because in due time, you will reap a harvest. Don't get tired in sowing into your school or to your workplace or to your ministry. Those of you leaders who are feeling very discouraged, don't get tired of doing good because in due time, you will reap a harvest. Does anybody believe that in this place? If you believe that, you need to give the Lord a prayer right now. Don't get tired. Keep going. The Lord is with you. He will not abandon you. We are stewards. We are trusted with something. 
And with that, my last point, your share. God's sovereignty, our stewardship, and then you will get your share. So the story ends this way, right? The, or the parable ends this way. The master eventually comes back and he now sees what the servant has produces. So Jesus will come back. Jesus will come back. But here's the thing. I read this, I read this uh, a quote and I thought it was really powerful. It's simple but really powerful. It says this, only those who eagerly look forward to the return of Christ can find the freedom to live with confidence now. Only those who eagerly look forward to the return of Christ can find the freedom to live with confidence now. This simply means this. Not that we get obsessive now of, you know, when's Jesus coming back? When's Jesus coming back? Like the servants, they didn't go around asking, when's the master coming back? They didn't check, you know, for his live location on Telegram. They didn't check his GPS. They didn't text him and go, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? No. They knew he would come back one day, but they were just focused on the now. And it's the same for each and every one of us. Jesus is going to come back one day, but how that is that relevant to us is we just have to focus on the now. Do you know that you will only get one shot at this life? Literally, have you ever thought about that? You will only get one shot at, at this life. Once a person breathes their last breath in this life, that's it. You're finished. You're gone. You only get one shot at different things in your life. You only get one shot in the school that you are in. You only get one shot in the job that you are in. You may even only get one shot with your kids. But the key is this. Life, though, is only about one shot. It has many chances. You know how I know this? Because every day, it's a new day to decide or an opportunity to decide I will serve the Lord. Every day is an opportunity for a new beginning. I like what Pastor Joel said just now. He said, you know, when he closed the worship, he talked about how many of us, we look forward to the year 2020 um, and we say, we hope 2020 will be a better year. But he encouraged us by saying that, no, Jesus is our living hope. We have living hope for today. And in the same way, we have one shot at this life, but, every, but we have a new day every day as long as we have breath in our body. Every day is a day to get up and say, I'm going to do better for the Lord today. I'm going to start serving Him today. I'm going to do better in my marriage today. I'm going to do better with my kids today. I'm going to do better in my school today. I'm going to do better in my workplace today. Every day is an opportunity for a new beginning. The question is, is will we steward it? And then will we, if we steward it well, we will get our share. Just like me, you know, I, by, by no means I'm saying that I, I've arrived or anything like that. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. But I will say this, that I've never imagined that I would be where I am today, standing here sharing the Word of God with you many, many years ago. All I did was I just served the Lord. I speak to business people. You know, I, I, you know, you know we have 
great people in our church. Do you know that? We have amazing people in our church. Uh, I was speaking to this person, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, he was just sharing with me how, you know, he came from a small town and all that, uh, but now, you know, he's doing well in his job. You know, he's able to bless people. He's able to, you know, provide for his family and all that. And his principle was this, I just follow the Lord. I just trust in the Lord. Everything that I do, I just trust in Him. The Bible also says don't despise small beginnings. You know, a lot of times we look at something small and we despise it, but yet God works in the principle of seed. Do you know if you ask for a million ringgit, God is going to give you a job? Do you know that? If you pray for, some, if you pray for, for something big, God is going to give you something small and say, why don't you watch it grow? Or why don't you partner with me and let me grow with it? Whatever that you have, whatever dream, whatever desire that God has placed on your heart, maybe He has already answered it, but you just need to open your eyes and see that God is wanting you to partner with Him and to sow and to steward the moments to own the moments. I tell people this, don't just go through the, mo the motions, own the moments. Be present, you know, be, be there. Don't just be there physically, but absent, you know, mentally. Be there, own the moment, because every moment that comes by, that moment may never come again. And when we have the confidence, and you see, this, when we talk about this, right, it, it seems like a, like a very, um, when, when I was preparing the scripture, I want to be honest, I, I was really, really struggling because it, I didn't want to preach a message or that seemed very, you are not doing enough, or you must do this, or you must do more, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. But the reality is this, um, I look at the scripture and yeah, it's, it's harsh because what happened to that one servant uh, or that servant with that one talent, you know, he didn't use it and the Bible says he was taken out and thrown to a place where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? Now, it seems, it can seem very scary and all that, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, I realize as long as whatever that we have, we give to the Lord, we have what I call a God awareness, do you know we need to have more of a God awareness in our life? That's what the second coming is about. We need to have a God awareness that Jesus is around. What a God awareness is this. We are very aware of how we feel. I'm, like, you, you know what I mean? You are very aware when something upsets you. You know immediately this upsets me. This person offended me. This makes me angry. This situation makes me frustrated. We're very aware of what is happening in us. But we need to get a God awareness, meaning when someone offends me, what is God wanting to teach me about this situation and about this person and about myself? When we run into a problem, we are very aware of, oh no, I've got a problem. But if we have a God awareness, God, what is it that you want to do in me through this trial? Let's get more of a God awareness. Let's ask Him. When God sends us opportunities, whether it's a new child or whether it's a new business opportunity or whether it's a new job, rather than be so aware of, I can't wait to get this, this and that out of this situation, let's have a God awareness. What does God want me to do in this situation? Someone was telling me this the other day, you know, they're going to change schools now, right, in high, in, in, and they were very sad and all that because they were worried. They're going to leave all their friends. But I challenged this young person. I said, 
What if God is leading you to a new school and you ask God, God, what is the reason you are sending me to this school? Let's get a God awareness because at the end of the day, like I said, we only have one shot, but we've got many chances. Let's start today. Joel 2 verse 31 says this, that in the, la- the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible of the Lord arrives. The final day of judgment will be great and it will be terrible at the same time. How can something be great and terrible at the same time, right? It's like pretty ugly, right? How can it, uh, it's pretty ugly. What what does that mean? How can it be great and terrible? This is not an idiosyncrasy of the English language, but rather is this. It will be great for those who walk in the purposes of the Lord or with a God awareness of Him, but it will be bad for those who choose to push Him aside. So if you want to ask me, if you are here in this place and you don't have that attitude where I push God aside, you're safe. You don't have to worry. Because like I said, every single day is an opportunity to decide I will do better for God. It's kind of like a roadblock. You know, when you, go, when you come to a roadblock, and have you been to a rope, uh, you know, you, you chance upon a roadblock before. Um, as you come upon a roadblock, um, it's normal to feel a little bit nervous at first, right? You start thinking, oh no, did I pay my road tax? Um, uh, did, is my thing too dark, right? Uh, you know, is my number plate still, you know, okay, and all that kind of stuff. But did I bring my driver's license? But if we have all, all those things, check, 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 okay. When we go to the roadblock, we can just kind of go, nothing's going to happen because, yeah, I can pass through. I've done everything to my ability to know that's okay. And it's the same thing when we give an account to the Lord. When the Lord comes and takes an account from us, as long as we know that we have given our best shot, that we have lived life not only just conscious of what we feel, but what He wants, we're going to be safe. And my last encouragement to you before we close in worship this morning or this afternoon is this. You have it, now use it. You have it, now use it. The title started with use it or lose it. But I want to turn it around and say, my friends, you have it, now use it. What is it? Everything. Everything that you have, everything that you are, will you dedicate it onto the Lord? Will you now trust Him that He will bring about what He says He will do? Will you surrender every single part of you, your personal life, your work life, everything onto Him and see God multiply that in your life? This isn't a prosperity theology. It is what the Word of God says, that if we give and surrender onto the Lord, He will bless us. He will multiply it because that's who God is as long as we use it for His glory.